invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning, once again, to the book of John, John chapter 5, picking up where we left off last week. If you're a visitor with us, we are working our way through the gospel of John, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, hoping to see Christ, and uh, as John hopes and has said his aim of this account is, that we would believe, and in believing, we would have life in his name. On that very topic, subject, let me ask you a question. Do you believe? That was a question that Coach Dion Sanders, the new head football coach at the University of Colorado, asked the media last week after their big win over Texas Christian University for those few college football fans out there. In other words, he was asking in kind of his brash way, after seeing this victory, after seeing what we've done, is this enough to make you believe that we're legit? That we can accomplish something special this season? And so he asked the media, do you believe? His case is even stronger today because he had another big win yesterday. As we turn to the second half of John chapter 5 this morning, we are in the middle of a monologue of Jesus. And John gives it to us. Jesus speaks it because it is for Jesus a do you believe moment. It's Jesus' defense. It's Jesus' declaration of who he is. Do you believe? And so last week, Jesus gave testimony to the fact that He is from eternity past, one with the Father. These were theological truths that we just can't fully wrap our heads around. That the Son who was standing there before the religious leaders was eternally one with the Father. But He also spoke about how He's presently giving life to all who believe. Bringing resurrection to our dead hearts. And then he also promised that he will come again, having been given authority to judge all the earth. In other words, Jesus not only has a unique relationship with God the Father, he sails this religious crowd, but he is equal with the Father. He is God himself. Well, of course, as we might expect, these men, these religious leaders and teachers of the law who are standing before Jesus... They're not just going to simply take Jesus' word for it. Just because Jesus says, this is who I am, they're not going to believe. Though they should. Though that should be enough. Which is why Jesus continues with where we go today. And so John chapter 5 is where we pick up our reading this morning. John chapter 5 starting at verse 30. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 30, this is Jesus speaking. Again, in the middle of this speech, He says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. 
Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in His light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His Word abiding in you. For you do not believe the One whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please go ahead and be seated. Let me ask another question. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I've never personally been asked to take that oath. I, like many of you though, have served as a juror in our court system, and therefore I've heard this oath being taken by witnesses, summoned to the court to give testimony And thankfully, our relationship with truth in this society has not yet deteriorated to the point of losing this. Testimony of witnesses is still a powerful tool to arrive at the truth, at what really happened. Brothers and sisters, this is a passage about testimony. Did you notice how many times Jesus speaks the word, testify, or speaks the word testimony in this passage. Jesus is standing before all of those who oppose him, and he's declaring, this is who I am. Do you believe? Now in reality, Jesus doesn't need to prove anything. He owes nothing to these people, nor does he care what they think of him. But he did come to save. He did come to redeem even a hard-hearted people who want nothing to do with him. And that's what Jesus cares about. And so in condescension in this passage, in the second half of this monologue that we've been looking at, Jesus, in a sense, he submits himself to the law of evidence. What do I mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament standard was that testimony would be established on the basis of two or three witnesses. And so Jesus says in verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, 
My testimony is not deemed true. So here are my references. Check them. Here are my witnesses. Hear them out. Listen to them and believe in me. And so this morning, we're going to unpack these three witnesses that Jesus gives that testify to who he is. And and while these witnesses were uniquely positioned in, in that time and in that place, they also speak to us today. They invite us to the same decision. Do you believe? They encourage us in our faith. They motivate us to respond in greater faith. So three witnesses, three truths. The first one is this. See Jesus in the testimony of men. See Jesus in the testimony of men. Jesus brings up here the original witness, his cousin, John the Baptist, whom he describes in this passage as a burning and shining lamp. Now John the Apostle, the writer of this gospel, had already brought up John in the prologue. He was a man that these original listeners who were standing before Jesus, they they knew him well. He's a man that we've already spent a bit of time ourselves thinking and, and speaking about. John the Baptist came on the scene in the first century and he turned heads with the way he dressed, with the way he spoke, and with his call to repentance. And the Spirit of God used him to not only turn heads and to create a ruckus but to move hearts. And it was clear, as we've talked about already, that it was never John the Baptist's intention, never his intention, to draw attention to himself. He was always there to point to the one whose sandals he was unworthy to tie. And so Jesus here reminds them of John's words. He reminds them of the person of John. He reminds them of John's call to repent. His words introducing Jesus. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was a reliable witness, Jesus says. Listen to him. Now, of course, here we are in 2023. We have John the Baptist's life at least part of his life recorded for us. We have his powerful testimony, but I would argue as we think about applying this to our lives, we have so much more. Thought three things as we see Jesus in the testimony of men, as we think about applying this to our lives. We have the disciples. The disciples. I've spoken about this before, but I think one of the most powerful apologetics concerning the claims of Christ and specifically the resurrection of Jesus is the lives of the disciples. John the Apostle, himself a disciple, write in 1 John, his other letter to the churches, that that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and we have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. These men, these disciples, John the apostle included, they listened to, they walked with, they witnessed, they embraced all that Jesus was, all that he was about. And when Jesus left, they were so convinced about who he said he was. 
that they were willing to not only devote their entire lives to his message, but go to their deaths believing it. See Jesus in the testimony of men. And if we were to broaden it from the disciples, Jesus talks about John. We've broadened it to the disciples. We've broadened it a little more to the, to the saints. It's not just the original 12, but the host of men and women in the last 2,000 years who have devoted their lives to the service of Jesus. Hebrews 12 tells us there's a cloud of them, of past examples of faith who encourage us to believe and to run with endurance the race that is marked out for us. See Jesus in the testimony of men. And then as I think about my own life, I think about my heritage of faith. Some of you share this as well. A covenant family who believed in Jesus, who walked with Jesus with all that is in them, who lived admirable lives of service and self-sacrifice. See Jesus in the testimony of men. The testimony of all these has left us without excuse, and yet it also reminds us, I think, of our own testimony, right? It's not the only way. It's not the only thing that God uses to bring people to himself, but the incredible power of relationship, of personal testimony. And the takeaway here is we need to be telling our stories. There's an opportunity for us to shine like lamps In the darkness, as John the Baptist did, Jesus later will say about all of his followers, you are the light of the world. And so we testify before the world, this is my experience. This is my Savior. You need to meet him. So I think the first thing we can be reminded of and take away from this speech of Jesus is to see Jesus in the testimony of men. But there's a second point as well. See Jesus in the works of God. It's the other thing Jesus draws to our attention. In fact, it's greater than John the Baptist. John is the first testimony that he hones in on. People who stood before him knew John well, but now he says even greater than that... Even if John the Baptist had never declared, behold the Lamb of God, Jesus says, my works, what I am doing before you, gives clear testimony that I am sent from God. This is what he says in verse 36. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Now we of course could begin with the works that John talks about in the prologue. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made through Him. In Him was life. That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is amazing in and of itself. But Jesus isn't speaking about that. He's speaking to these people about what they've seen. What they have witnessed Jesus do with His hands and with His voice. So we've studied the Gospel of John the water that was turned to wine. 
The lame man that after 38 years suddenly stood up and walked. The young child that was healed from a distance by just simply a phrase from the Savior's mouth. But then John, of course, tells us there are many other things that happened that he doesn't record. Listen to this description from one Bible scholar. He says, aside from supernatural manifestations such as angelic announcements, the virgin birth, the star that guided the wise men, Jesus passing through hostile mobs, cleansing the temple, his transfiguration, soldiers falling, darkness at the crucifixion, the veil rent in two, the tombs open, the earthquake, Jesus' resurrection and angel appearances. Aside from those, there are recorded 35 miracles which Jesus wrought. And of course, he hadn't accomplished them all here when he spoke to these teachers of the law. But he will. He will display the works of God. 17 bodily cures. A leper, a paralytic, a man with a withered hand, a deaf and a mute man, the blind man at Bethesda, the blind man in Jerusalem, a woman with hemorrhaging, a man with dropsy, ten lepers, blind Bartimaeus, and we could go on and on. He exercised power over nature nine times when he was on earth. Water to wine. He caused two huge catches of fish. He stilled the storm. He fed 5,000. He walked on water. He fed another 4,000. He made tax money appear in a fish's mouth, and he caused a fig tree to wither mysteriously. Six times he healed demoniacs. Three people he raised from the dead. It's quite a resume. And even after all of these recorded events, John tells us that he did so many other things, Jesus, that if they should all be written, I suppose the world would not contain the books. Now, of course, that's not to say that everyone who saw all these incredible things, the works of God, believed. In fact, they didn't. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Our hearts have a way of rejecting even the plainest testimony. But these things did have an effect on many. And they should have an effect on us as well. We may not have been eyewitnesses standing there seeing these things, but taken with the testimony of men, with the testimony of the resurrection, they are powerful. And of course, we have our own stories as well. Stories of people whose lives have been turned around by the power of Christ. Maybe you're here as a testimony of the power of Jesus to turn a life on its head. Stories of the gospel reaching the seemingly darkest, most hopeless among us. See Jesus in the works of God. Be encouraged that all those works that declare Jesus is alive and still at work. Well, there's one final witness that John presents. And if we're weighing those, it goes from least to greater to greatest. We're going to put this last one in its own category. See Jesus in the Word of God. See Jesus in the testimony of men. 
See Jesus in the works of God that he has performed. And the last thing our Savior calls us to do is to see him in the word of God. And when Jesus spoke these words, of course, the New Testament hadn't been recognized. But the law and the prophets and the writings had long been established in the life of God's people as Yahweh's authoritative revelation to man. And Jesus here confirms that fact and declares that his presence and his person were not out of the blue, but had been long spoken about, had been long predicted. And while so many of these men that stood before Jesus were students, ardent students of the Word. They had missed the point. Examining the trees, they had lost the forest. Because you can know the story of the Exodus. You can memorize the Ten Commandments. You can sing the Psalms till you're blue in the face. But if you miss Jesus, you've missed it all. If you search the Scriptures merely for moral lessons or ethical instruction, you've missed the One who is at the center of all that truth. There's a great book overheard this morning in my house, and I wanted to read it to you. The Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Now, Some people think that the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly has some rules in it. They show you how your life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about what God has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it. But as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful fairy tales in life have come true. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. And so Jesus says to these people and He says to us, search the Scriptures because they bear witness of Me. In Genesis, He's the Word and the seed of the woman. In Exodus, He's the Passover Lamb and the leader 
of the Exodus. In Leviticus, he's the temple and the high priest. In Numbers, he's the ever-present guide, the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet greater than Moses. In Joshua, he's the conquering warrior, the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's God's appointed deliverer. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, he's the heir of God's throne. In Kings and Chronicles, he's the one greater than Solomon, the perfect king. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the temple and the walls. In Esther, he's our Mordecai, our protector. In Job, he's our advocate to plead our case. In Psalms, he's our dwelling place, our good shepherd, our rock. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant and the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's a righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's God's servant. In Daniel, he's that fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the ever-faithful husband. In Joel, he's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the deliverer of Mount Zion. In Jonah, he's the great foreign missionary, the one in the tomb for three days. In Micah, he's the blessing of Bethlehem. The messenger with the beautiful feet carrying the gospel. In Nahum, Jesus is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's the great evangelist crying for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the great reformer. In Haggai, he's a cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, he is the one betrayed. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. And that doesn't even touch the New Testament. The testimony of men, the works that Jesus has performed, the holy scriptures that all bear witness to the truth of who he is. So why don't we believe? Why didn't these first century Jews believe? We could probably think of a lot more reasons, but Jesus gives us three. Three aimed specifically at his original hearers, but I think applicable to us here today. The first one is verse 42. You do not have the love of God in you. These people, they don't really love God. At the end of the day, they want their agenda. They don't really want God. They want a God of their own making. Jesus commented that for a little while, they were willing to rejoice in the light of John's witness. His call to repentance. So what happened? (laughs) For a little while they rejoiced in what John the Baptist had to say, but what happened? Well, think about your own heart. Right? So many of us, so often we start out well, but at the end of the day, we want to be God. We don't want to give up our sin. We don't want to give up our control. We don't want to live under God's authority. And if we're not willing to humble ourselves before him, we'll ignore and rationalize every testimony to his greatness and to his glory. It's the first reason Jesus gives. The second is verse 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. This relates to the first issue, and it is that our ears are tickled by people who say what we want to hear. History will record at least 
60, more than 60 men who will claim to be the Messiah. And some of them will gain quite a following. And why will this happen? Often because of what they promise. Material blessing or political power. One such man, Simon Bar Kokhba, led a revolt against Rome in AD 132 with the support of the Pharisees. And he was eventually killed. But after all, who wants to follow a guy that says, pick up your cross and follow me? Are we any different? We don't want a Jesus who demands stuff from us. We want promises that will keep us comfortable and victorious. And that leads us to the third reason why we don't believe. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Too focused on the praise of men, too focused on our own reputation, stuck on this horizontal plane rather than the vertical. We we want to flaunt our intellectual prowess. We want to flaunt our ability to cope. As Paul Tripp says, and as I've said from this pulpit, a phrase he's kind of coined, we're naturally glory thieves. When our chief aim is to glorify God, and enjoy Him forever. We don't love God. We want to be gods of our own making. We want to listen to people that we like what they say. And then finally, we want to be praised by others. None of these are insurmountable. But they all require a work of God's grace, a work of God's Spirit to believe to see Jesus clearly in the testimony of men, in the works of God, and in the Scriptures. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus uses this opportunity. Next week, we'll go back to more stories, to more encounters, to more events. But Jesus pauses here and just prods his listeners to focus on him, to see who he is, As we began the service with long ago, Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So the question is, do you believe? His witness is undeniable. His glory is unmistakable and unmatchable. Listen, marvel, and believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words of our Savior, words that testify to your will, Father, in sending your Son, being made flesh for us, that we might see, that we might behold all that he is, that we might connect the dots from the writings given long ago in antiquity and see how He is the point of it all. He is the hero of this story. Oh, Father, I confess that 
We all need to hear this message. We all need to see Jesus more clearly. But how, Holy Spirit, you're going to apply this and challenge this fact in the lives of your people is only known to you. But I pray earnestly that through the weakness of what I've spoken and yet the strength of your Spirit and your Word, that it would not return to you void, but would accomplish whatever you want in the lives of those who hear, of those who listen, that they might be encouraged, that they might be challenged, that they might be built up, that they might be rebuked. Whatever they need, do your work in us for our good and for the glory of your name, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.